20 minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. What's going on, everybody? Welcome into an all new episode of the Pack a Day Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Herman. You can follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. Joining me once again is the great Paul Brettel. You can find him on Twitter or X at Paul underscore Brettel. Paul, in some ways, it feels weird to be talking to you as we record this on a Monday. Um, in other ways, because we usually we talk on Tuesday, but in other ways, it feels totally appropriate because we're two days removed from game day, which feels totally the same. So either way, thank you so much for doing this. Always great having you in. And uh, how have you been? I'm excellent, Andy, and uh, I really appreciate you having me on throughout the season. It's been a really, really fun time with you talking through uh, uh, each of these games and kind of the roller coaster that this season's been. It has been uh, a pleasure on my end as well. We've had the opportunity to go through plenty of victories, plenty of heartache, some therapy, some jubilation, and just about everything else in between. Let's start with a little bit of that heartache. Obviously, the Packers go into San Fran. Not expected to win. Almost 10-point underdogs in that game. Um, Basically, I think everyone on national television except Michael Strahan picked the 49ers to win that game. I think it's probably Michael Strahan's fault that the Packers didn't win. If everyone would have picked San Fran, probably would have gone seamlessly. Uh, But this was not a game that anyone was really necessarily expecting, per se. But then, just when you think you're playing with house money, and just when you think there's nothing to lose... Of course, you have everything to lose, and you've got a seven-point game going into the fourth quarter when Kyle Shanahan's been 0-30 or whatever it is going into fourth quarters (laughs) with a five or more point lead, and you unfortunately lose a game that you could have won. We all know the different culprits throughout the course of the game. I'm not talking people. I'm just talking about plays, whether it be the savage pick, the missed field goal, whatever it might be. We've all been through that, but... As you kind of went through and rewatched the tape and rewatched the game and experienced it in real time, uh, what did you see from this performance and what kind of uh, you know key takeaways did you have from it? Yeah, I mean, uh, like you mentioned, the first thing that really pops off is kind of those missed opportunities, and and with that is the you know the the Packers play in the red zone and Jordan Love after the game, one of the first things that he attributed a loss to, and I know Anders Carlson's getting a lot of the attention and understandably so, big moment didn't come through, and it's unfortunately been the consistent case over the second half of the season. But the Packers were just two and five in the red zone, and even that missed field goal opportunity that Carlson had, I think the offense was down to the twenty three yard line, so though. Six opportunities inside the 25 to only come away with two scores. And, you know, that's that changes the entire game, the outcome, if you're able to find just a little bit more success there. And over the course of the season, the Packers haven't been a particularly strong red zone offense. They've had some uh, stretches where they've been able to find some steady success, but they've been up and down in that part of the field. And when we look at some of the reasons for it, I think one, you know, From the get-go of this game, Jordan Love was never quite in the same kind of rhythm that we've seen in recent weeks, Uh, and so that was a factor. The run game, as good as Aaron Jones was for, you know, in between the 20s, I think he averaged almost six yards per rush, obviously had over another game over 100 yards. Like, they couldn't get the run game going in in that part of the field, and Matt LaFleur has talked over and over again this season about how – a successful run game is key to red zone success. And that's already just a difficult part of the field to move the ball in. There's less space. There's more defenders in a confined area. And when you have the Niners defense, who features Dre Greenlaw, Fred Warner in the middle of that defense, two erasers already in a confined part of the field, like there's a large part of this already small field that you're working with that's 
pretty much a no-go zone because of those two in the middle. So I think all those factors coupled together culminated in the Packers' red zone woes and just kind of those overall uh, issues that they had in that part of the field. And ultimately that contributed, played a major, major role in in the outcome of this game. I'm so glad you brought up the red zone because – yeah, obviously the, the the Anders thing you like you mentioned, and we could have saw that coming. There was to some extent we could see some red zone troubles coming at times throughout the course of this season. It just not as much was made out of it, and it did really come back to haunt Green Bay. Now the fourth and inches play, who knows what happens if they get that in the call, whatever. But there were plenty of opportunities for Green Bay to get points, and they couldn't. There's a few things that I think they're going to have to do better moving forward and have to learn from this experience. I think the first thing is, well as this offensive line has played, they're still not movers in the run game. Like they're not like they've we saw in this game some of the big runs that Aaron Jones was able to peel off. Like they're they're much better and they're much um, more technically sound than I think they were early in the season. We know that Elton Jenkins is going to be one of those guys. Zach Tom's going to be one of those guys. It looks certainly like Rashid is going to be one of those. Or and we'll see what happens with Bakhtiari's situation, but. Sean Ryan, Josh Myers, we'll see what happens with Runyon. This is why I still go back to, I think they still need competition at some of these spots to push some of these players. I still feel very comfortable with the starting five as is if, with Sean Ryan taking that spot if needed um, at right guard. I still feel really good about where they're at, but I think they do need to be a little bit more physical in some of those short yarded situations to create some of those running alleys for the running backs. And then I think the other thing, that has to be an area we've we've talked about for weeks now, the just embarrassment of riches that this Packers team has at the wide receiver and tight end, the weapons positions. I do think in that area of the field, it's going to be paramount for three players in particular, Luke Musgrave, Tucker Craft, and Christian Watson to really be big time threats in that area of the field. You've got a 6'4 wide receiver. You've got a 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, super fast, freaky tight end. And then Tucker Craft, who finds those tight spaces, can run after the catch, can break some tackles, and can be a pretty big target in the end zone as well. I do think, and then of, of course we know Romeo and his some of his success he's had already. I think those are the players that are going to have to sort of get you to step up a little bit further moving forward and turn some of those three-point tries into seven-point possessions. And I do wonder just how much of reintegrating Musgrave in the offense. He didn't play much in this game. Reintegrating Christian Watson in. We didn't see a huge, like, targeted approach to trying to get him the ball. I just wonder if, like, this offense, specifically in the red zone, maybe would have been humming on a few more cylinders if if those guys had been just healthy and had been already, like, you know, just, like I said, humming along on the offense. But instead... Um, they're not. And it just it felt a little bit disjointed in that area of the field. Yeah, very well said. And to your point on the offensive line competition, um, you know, we heard all, like we've talked about all the Matt LaFleur, Stenovich, Buck has talked about the competition, how they feel that sparked and helped turn things around. John Runyon Jr. at, at his locker on Monday, you know, he acknowledged how difficult it was to go into that rotation with Sean Ryan, you know, when they kind of presented the opportunity to him, gave you know, Sean Ryan the opportunity to get snaps, but, you know, run in and we didn't really hear anything or much about this, but he, he was banged up for a large portion uh, of the season. And this was also an opportunity that rotation did take a few snaps, you know, off of, off of his workload. 
And he said, while it was really, really tough to go into that rotation, he said it sparked something within him. And it forced him to reflect on kind of how the season had gone up to that up to that point when that started in week nine. And by his own admission, he said he, he wasn't playing his best football at that time, but he feels like the last five, six games of the season, he was playing his best football, not just of the season, but you know, that he's had during his time here in Green Bay. And so to your point, I think that's, you know, just with the overall success that the Packers had this season and utilizing that approach, you have to think it's absolutely going to be on their radars moving forward and how they structure the offensive line room, how they go through training camp, the preseason, and even into the regular season, just because of the the results they had. For John Runyon Jr. in, in particular, and again, I know we're in the great uh, grades war of 2024 <laughs> of like what grades matter and stuff. And uh, you've, you've heard me say it, I will say it every single time, take whatever grain of salt that you want with it. It's almost more for like, my grades are almost more for like me of going through and doing it. And if like people enjoy them, great. If it's not your cup of tea, no worries, no issues. But um, from week one to week 14, I had John Running Jr. at a negative 6.45 grade, easily lowest on the team. Thought it was his worst season of his career up until this point. And it kind of looked like he had cost himself some pretty significant money going into free agency. Since week 15, so negative 6.45, worst player on the team grade-wise, since week 15, plus 1.50 grade. That may not seem like a gigantic, like huge number, but my goodness, can I tell you, going from a negative 6.4 over that, you know, from week one to week 14 to grading consistently in the positive through those final five games of the season, um, it was a night and day difference. Whether it was him getting a little bit healthier, whether it was the competition that sparked that, there was a real legitimate difference in John Runyon Jr. over, and really, if we even want to go, because you said they started at week nine, right? Yep. Um, week 10 on, um, he still has a plus 0.2 grade from week 10 on. So from week one to nine, it was negative 5.15, and then 10 on was a plus 0.2. So again, just a total change in the dynamic. I do think that that competition helped. I think it helped at left tackle. We saw it with Rashid Walker as well. So I, th- I think we saw a much better brand of football in that offensive line as, uh, on the whole as the season went along. And we will definitely see now what they do with John Runyon Jr. Because that's going to be an interesting decision for them as well. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So red zone offense was obviously one of the ones. Um, I know you also wrote about in that game, particularly about how the pass rush, especially that that front group of players, we knew kind of going in that if Green Bay was going to have a puncher's chance to s- slow down this 49ers offense, it was probably going to come in the trenches. But when you kind of go back and look at it, they they kind of did their job and gave Green Bay the real opportunity to win this game. Yeah, absolutely. I thought the push up the middle was very good in this game and it didn't turn into you know, a high number of sacks. I think they just had had one in the game. And I think even just four or five quarterback hits, a very, very modest number. But what they did do was they collapsed the pocket. They, you know, Preston Smith, Kenny Clark talked about it afterwards. They did a good job of disrupting uh, Brock Purdy's timing, rhythm. And there were just always defenders around him when he had to make a throw, someone in his face when he had to get rid of the football. And that threw a lot of things off in this game for this, for this 49ers offense that, you know, 
was or is, I should say, I think by DVOA, like this has been one of the most efficient offenses in, in NFL history up to this point. And a lot of that success that the Packers had started with the pass rush and just being able to to get in his face, make him uncomfortable in that game. He was pressured on 42% of his dropbacks by PFF. And just for some context around that, Justin Fields was the most pressured quarterback in football this season at 48%. So they did a really, really good job of of getting after him. And I thought in general – the the game plan that the Packers went in with, I thought was was sound. And even on the plays where the the 49ers made a big play, you know, you look at that touchdown to George Kittle. It looked like, you know, based on the reaction, I think you pointed this out as well, that Anthony Johnson, you know, went to the underneath route when he should have been back helping Savage. If you look at uh, Christian McCaffrey's big run, Savage was in position to make a tackle that would have limited that play to not being an explosive. And even on a number of the, you know, yak opportunities that the 49ers had in the passing game, there were defenders in the area to at least have the opportunity to bring a player down. So I thought from a game plan perspective, they did a really good job. And Jonathan Owens talked about it after just from the coverage looks that they gave Brock Purdy, uh, what they did over the middle and just playing a little bit closer to the line of scrimmage to muddy things up in that part where Brock Purdy likes the target. I thought from that perspective, they did a really good job. And like I said, at the beginning of all this, and you mentioned it all started with, with their play up front and getting after Brock Purdy and making them uncomfortable. Hey there, I'm sure you've heard a ton about daily fantasy sports, but I'm here to tell you that you've never experienced anything quite like prize picks. With basketball season here, you can now pick combo projections across football and basketball from the Specials League, a league created specifically for combo projections that includes two or more players from different sports or leagues. For example, LeBron James plus Travis Kelsey at a 10.5 combo of three points made plus receptions. Even more fun yet? Do you want to play alongside some of Prize Picks' favorite players like rapper Meek Mill and comedian Andrew Schultz? You can now find community plays under the Promos tab of the app to view entries from some of the biggest names in the Prize Picks community each week. I've had so much fun making Prize Picks a part of my daily fantasy sports routine. They cover all of my favorite sports, have a ton of variety and different options to choose from, and the player choices are immense. I even had a fun J.K. Scott selection the other day for the Chargers game. I recently had a big win on Saturday morning in a London game, and it just made the viewing experience so much more enjoyable. It's fun, it's exciting, it's easy, and there's a level of creativity and uniqueness about it that I really, really enjoy. So go to prizepicks.com slash packaday and use code packaday for a first deposit match up to $100. That's prizepicks.com slash packaday using code packaday for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Yeah, it definitely felt that way. Really tough day for the safeties. And then of course the Darnell Savage dropped pig. It was just, Mm -hmm. it was a really, really tough day at the office for a group that um, I just gave flowers to a week ago, specifically Darnell Savage for having a a great game against Dallas and a group that going into this season felt like it was going to be a nightmare and it just wasn't, they were pretty solid. If not, you know, they weren't spectacular. They weren't unspectacular. They were just kind of there and, and fine for the most, most part of the season, but I would have taken that going in. And then unfortunately in the game, you needed a most, it, it just didn't go according to plan, but um, certainly a position that green Bay is going to have to try to improve right now. It's basically three players under contract, Benny Sapp, Anthony Johnson, Jr. And Zane Anderson. 
And I can promise you right now, that's not the three players that they're going to go into at the front of their safety room next year. There will be some turnover there. They might bring one or two of those safeties back. They might go in a totally different direction. I think that's going to be one of the more interesting position groups to keep an eye on through this season. Last thing I want to talk about this game, Paul, and it kind of goes without saying probably a little bit, but it's funny. I, I guess I sort of jinxed everything, but going into the second half, I said, yeah, the 49ers get the ball first, but the Packers will get the opportunity to take away the ball first. And it felt like that game was going to change with some turnovers. And there was going to be turnovers in the second half that were probably going to be the difference. Now, there were some other things that certainly went into the stew as to why things didn't go according to plan. But I mean, you first of all, you can count uh, a missed field goal as a turnover because they get mm-hmm. field position right there where that field goal is missed. But then you add, add the two interceptions on top of it, add on Green Bay, having really two golden opportunities to take away the football. And those are almost like turnovers in and of themselves where you should have the ball with great field position if you can make those interceptions and, or just house them. And instead, you end up with nothing. It did feel like this had so much to do with turnovers and Green Bay just couldn't get them when they needed them. Yeah, I believe coming into the game, the Niners were 8-0 when they won the turnover battle. And I think 4-5 and when, I, I don't even think it was coming winning the turnover, but I think just having a turnover, or not having a turnover, excuse me, they were 4-5 they were and five in those games. So massive impact on it. And the Packers' inability to come away. You mentioned the Savage one. Keyshawn Nixon as well was in position to make a play on a ball. And again, who knows how the game plays out differently when, you know, if one of those plays are made and that's, you know, the, the frustrating part about this. And you could feel in the locker room today that, you know, obviously the position that they were in as the game unfolded, they knew the opportunity was there for them to win. And it stings more when you can go back and count out seven, eight, 10 different plays throughout the game that, man, if just one of them unfolds differently, you know, what's, what's the outcome? Are they preparing for the lions this week? But this was also a team that you could tell that, they went into this game not, you know, thinking, all right, if we put together a good good game, we have an opportunity to win. Like they went into that game, you know, from talking to them, they went into that game knowing we can win this game. And for three and a half quarters, it looked like they had that in their control and the the turnovers were such a massive impact on it. And it was, you know, it shows how far Jordan Love has come this season to where those interceptions that he made, you're like taken aback. Like, whoa, did that just happen? Did he did yeah. he make that decision on the final one? Did he really miss Tucker Craft on that throw? And and like I said, in part, it's a credit to him and just how 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 high of a level he's been playing at. That we all have that reaction. And even Matt Lafleur said today when he was speaking with us that even he was a little taken aback by the decision that Love made on that final throw. But it was just a. You know, a culmination of those key moments and when the ball comes your way, who makes the play and who doesn't. And in a few of those key moments, it was the 49ers who did and the Packers who didn't. Yeah, well said. We are in complete agreement on that. It's 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 disappointing because, like you said, we were to the point almost where every time the ball uh, left Jordan's hands, it felt like something good was going to happen. It's funny. I was talking to actually a, a Bears fan tonight, and he's like, I've, I've become so accustomed to when the ball leaves Jordan's hands – and the like the ball pans to like what's happening in the secondary that there's just a Packer so wide open in the secondaries. Like I was just expecting that when they pan to the defensive backfield, there was just going to be a dude chilling there wide open. And he's like, Nope. Instead there was like three 49ers like lining up in a line of like, yo, you got this. If you don't, I got it. Mm-hmm. And it was just, it was very uncharacteristic as to how he played over the second half of the season to Matt's point uh, in the presser today should have never been in that situation anyway. 
Um, I think it's one of those lessons that sucks to learn and, you know, you just have to kind of learn it and grow from it. And I have zero doubt that Jordan will. And I think there's going to just be so many lessons that this young team took away from not only this game, but the season as a whole, the adversity that they were able to overcome. I think this team's going to come out one, not afraid of anyone going into next year and two, um, very just confident in knowing what they need to accomplish based on some of the learning curves that they had to go through this year. I do believe they're going to be better for it. Just really quick, those those exact numbers, 8-0 when they didn't turn the ball over, so they're now 9-0 for, for 49ers. They were 4-5 and five when they had any turnovers, as you mentioned. 9-1 and one when they got two-plus takeaways. They're now 10-1 and one, and 3-5 and five when they didn't get any takeaways. So it was a huge key going into the game, and obviously it was a huge key in the game. I know you wrote a little bit as we kind of transition off of Packers 49ers and kind of look back at the season as a whole and start looking forward as well. I know you and uh, wrote about something that I talked about uh, with Perry and Alex yesterday as well of kind of that this takeaway is that the foundation is built and not only is it built, it is built about as strong as you could possibly imagine. Things look really solid moving forward. They're still going to have to have a very important draft and offseason coming up, mm -hmm. a very important decision at defensive coordinator. But clearly they've done the, the main work that they've needed to do to set them up for future success. Yeah, it, it really feels like the, the sky's the limit for this team. And, you know, being in the locker room today, it, there was that mixture of emotion. Obviously, the season's ended, all that. But there was also this there was optimism. Um, just because of what lies ahead potentially for this team. I mean, Elton Jenkins put it bluntly. They're, it's Super Bowl next season. Like, that's what this is all about. Rashawn Gary talked about how hungry they are. And without even, you know, obviously getting into any potential additions, like including the draft, free agency, all that stuff. But he goes, the guys that we got in this locker room right now, special teams, defense, offense, we're good enough to, to get the job done. And so there is a ton of belief in this team because of what they did this season and the, potential that they showed that they reached to a degree just the talent that's in on this team specifically on the offensive side of the ball and one of or two of the kind of you know intangible things you know outside of the talent and what we see you know watching the games unfold is one the resiliency uh, a go-to phrase word that Matt LaFleur likes to use to describe this team but it's so true I mean the adversity that this group was able to overcome throughout the season uh not there's not a lot of teams out there that that have been able to do so and the other thing is their ability to learn from their mistakes and correct them so like you said you know how that 49ers game ended that finished to the fourth quarter you know they're going to learn from that because they've shown throughout the season that when things don't go right they've been able to them for the most part to go out and correct them and so on top of the the talent that's there you know, you have those very, very important intangible factors that this team has proven and shown that they have within them. And I also just want to give a uh, shout out credit, whatever, whatever phrase we want to use to Matt LaFleur for the job he did kind of holding this group together. And he gave us a little peek behind the curtain today uh, towards the end when talking about kind of holding things together and mentioning cracks. And we saw some of them. There was a Jair suspension, Devondre Campbell's tweet, things like that. But uh, his ability as a head coach to keep to be that glue for this team. And I always look back in terms of, you know, Matt LaFleur's not on-field coaching ability, but the leadership quality that he brings. 
I always look back to that Dallas game in week 10 of 2022. They're on that losing streak, down by two scores in the fourth quarter. Like, could have been very, very easily to easy to fold. And they came back, won that game, um, you know, helped at least kind of get the foothold going for that final late season push. And so I always looked at that game as kind of one of a, a defining moment to a degree in terms of his ability as a leader to hold things together. And then what we saw over this entire half of the season in keeping the team together. Obviously, the growth on the offensive side of the ball, Jordan Love, and really at the end of the season when these guys were clicking and executing, like what he could pull out as a as a play caller as well. Um, so just a, a ton of credit to Matt LaFleur for the job he did this season. It doesn't get said enough, and I'm so glad that you brought it up. Um, the first thing I want to say about that is over the past two seasons from last year and and some of the things that you just mentioned, this offseason with trading away Aaron, the Jaw stuff, the Rizul Douglas trading away, um, the two and or sorry, the two and five and three and six starts to this season. There were multiple culture tests for this team. Mm-hmm. And I mean significant culture tests for this team of like, can they stay afloat? Is this just gonna be like, oh, we're entering into a new era and this could get really ugly very fast? You mentioned the the Dallas game last year. Going into that, they're three and six last year, and then they get the Dallas win. Uh, there's a game after that, so they go, they win against Dallas, then they lose to Tennessee and Philly, and they're four and eight at that point. Like you're four and eight, and you know that you need a five game win streak to try to even have a, any chance at the playoffs. They go to Chicago, the worst team in football, and going into the fourth quarter, mm-hmm. they're losing by more than one score, and every. Like they're in Chicago, they're it's a road game. They have had a brutal road schedule up until that point. Every opportunity to just say this is this is not going great. This is not our year. And they rally in that game, have their bye, beat the Rams, beat the Dolphins, beat the Vikings, and put themselves in a position to go to the playoffs with a win over Detroit. Couldn't get the job done, but that to me passed a significant significant culture test. And then again, you come back, you trade away Aaron and you, the very next season it's two and five, three and six, again, same record as they had going into Dallas last year. And you've got that three game, you know, stretch where you're going Herbert and then Detroit on the road, Kansas city at home. And we're all thinking, man, this, this could be like three and nine. And we're not really used to three and nine in green Bay. And they said, screw that. We're not going three and nine. We're, we're going to even this thing up at six and six. And even then you've got a two game losing streak that immediately follows it. And you're just like, mm-hmm. well, they had everything in their hands and now they blew it. And they're like, nope, didn't blow it. They go on a three game win streak, including a Jair suspension within that, including earlier uh, after their two and five, um, they, they trade away Razul Douglas and they get through all of it. Number one on my list is Jordan Love, of course, and what he was able to accomplish and the level that they were able to get him to and that he was able to get to this season. Number two is that every Packer fan should feel extremely great about where this team is at from a state of the team standpoint and that there's no adversity that this team could face that it doesn't feel like they can overcome. Mm -hmm. And the culture that Matt has built with this franchise is going a long way into making it so that even down years don't really seem that down. Yeah, and we obviously look back at that Tampa game, the Carolina game, specifically for Joe Barry, and wondering, all right, your playoffs are on the line, you got to win out. How how can you not make a decision given the 
the body of work that's been in place for three years. And something that Lafleur said today, you know, perhaps shed a little light on that when he talked about holding the team together. He said something to the effect of how can I ask them to do that if we as a coaching staff don't do it? And we know the how important continuity is to Lafleur and the coaching staff. And I just wonder after hearing that phrase if he felt that moving on from Barry at that time would have been, you know, made some of those cracks that he mentioned bigger and could have, you know, instead of bringing in a new voice, hopefully providing a spark, maybe he felt it would have done the opposite for them. And he felt that in these hard times, it was best to show that we're going to stick together and figure this out together uh, rather than moving on that late in the season. I thought it was a really cool quote from him and it made all the sense in the world and it really paid off and they were able to rally defensively over that last part of the season. We'll talk about Joe Barry in just a second, but um, I thought it was a really smart and it just shows the type of pulse that he has on this team and what buttons that he knew to push to get them turned around and heading in the right direction. And it certainly worked just really quick. I posted this out there today. I'm going to read these names really quick, but I want to do it anyway. We mentioned the foundation of this team. I tweeted out today. If the Packers don't draft a single player, by the way, they have five top 100 draft picks. If they don't sign a single free agent, they'll probably sign at least a free agent or two. If they lose all of their own free agents, they'll probably keep a few of their own. If they lose David Bakhtiari, if they release Devondre Campbell, and all of those things were to be true, their base roster is still Jordan Love and Sean Clifford at quarterback, Aaron Jones, Emmanuel Wilson at running back, Henry Pearson, they got at fullback, Watson, Dobbs, Reed, Wicks, Melton, Heath, Toure, and Grant DuBose at wide receiver, Musgrave, Kraft, and Sims at tight end, the starting five, Walker, Jenkins, Myers, Ryan, and Zach Tom at offensive line, Caleb Jones, Tenuta, and Royce Newman backing up, Kenny Clark, Slayton, Wyatt, Brooks, Wooden, and Jonathan Ford on the defensive line, Gary Smith, LVN, Enigbari, and Brenton Cox on the edge, Quay Walker, Isaiah McDuffie, Christian Welch at uh, off-ball linebacker, Jair, Valentine, and Stokes at corner, Anthony Johnson Jr., Zane Anderson, Benny Sapp, that's a, a bit of an issue, but that's the safeties. Anders Carlson, Daniel Whalen, and Matt Orzek. Paul, they could go into that Good next year with that roster without drafting a single player, re-signing a single player, signing a single player, cutting uh, Devondre Campbell and you know figuring out the Bakhtiari situation, meaning Bakhtiari doesn't play next year. And that's a playoff caliber team without doing anything. And yes, safety corner. There's some spots that need work. No question about it. They need more depth and competition on the offensive line. They have the five top 100 picks. They're going to resign some of their own guys. They're probably going to dip their toe at least a little bit into free agency. The Again, the foundation that they have set is unreal. And the roster that they have without even having to do anything, it's it's stupid crazy where that's at right now. Yeah, hearing you just read through that out loud, I was it was one of those things where even you, you know it's they're in a good spot, but hearing it, you're like, whoa, they're in a really, really good spot from a roster standpoint. And I love what part of Matt LaFleur's message to the the team was, you know, in, in these final days together in terms of nothing's guaranteed. You know, yep. I, I think we can all look back at the 2010 Green Bay Packers and think, ah, oh, they'll be back. Obviously, that didn't happen. And so I love that that's a part of the message. And attacking the offseason was a phrase he used. Uh, Preston Smith, a number of the players were talking about having a, a championship mindset during the offseason. Josh Myers talked about how you need to be very, very intentional with everything that you're doing. And LaFleur said each of these guys with their position coaches are going to get one to two things to work on. And the expectation is that when they get back together in mid-April for OTAs, that they can check those boxes that you put in the work, did what you need to do on your own time. So 
you can find those new things that you need to to work on during that time frame rather than, all right, we still got to fix these two things and then being at a, at a bit of a deficit from a time perspective in that regard. So I, I love that approach that he's taken, you know, because there is so much potential, there's so much upside. Like I mentioned, Jenkins and Gary talking about what they're shooting for in 2024, but this off season is going to be really, 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 really important in terms of making those things happen. And I think the exciting part, and there's certainly, you know, some, um, stakes involved in this, but like, man, if they could hit this off season out of the park, like I mean, imagine if he has another amazing draft again with five top 100 picks and they add a free agent or two, like it's, it's really, it's really fun to think about what could be if they do a great job this off season. All right. Uh, any other final thoughts? I know you were in the locker room. We were both in the press conference today. Anything else stand out to you? I know you've went through a few things already that you took away, but um, anything else before we move on? Now we hit on the, the the really big stuff. Like I said, the two words I choose were emotional, obviously coming off the the difficult loss, and then optimistic for the reasons mentioned. But I also want just want to touch on that that emotional side of things because outside of the loss, like you mentioned, there are free agents: AJ Dillon, John Runyon, Keyshawn Nixon, Yash Nyman, and um, I'm sure many saw that clip floating around on Twitter of John Runyon, and it's just uh, a a real moment, and you know him you know, choking up a little bit and describing what these four years meant to him to be a Green Bay Packer said it's the it's the best organization out there, the brotherhood that has been established with this team. And that was really one of the just kind of core themes about this 2023 Packers team, like the the belief that they had in each other, but like these guys care about each other. And we've heard like the countless examples about the wide receiver room and nobody, you know, not really caring, you know, if Christian Watson or Jane Reed, like they only have one catch, but they're thrilled that Bo Melton and Romeo Dobbs had a day. Like that was the general theme throughout just this, this roster in 2023, the offensive line. I mean, John Runyon's in a contract year. It's his fourth season. And now he's halfway through having to split snaps. Like, you know, he could have handled that in a different way, but goes to show that just the overall character that, this Packers team is is built on and that shows through in the resiliency and fighting through the tough times. It really does. Again, culture is a plus right now. It does, you know, again, it just reminds everyone that these guys are human and they care about it and they work extremely hard for it. And as you mentioned, like we talked about running and having a really tough year. And then you mentioned earlier, and this is always usually going to be the case in some way. Of course, he's fighting through some injury through the, the first mm-hmm. half of the season and playing through pain. And I'm sure not playing to the level that he'd love to play at. I think the running decision is really interesting, especially the way that he finished the year. They're, they have, a, they have, we, we just talked about how the roster is in a pretty great spot almost no matter what, but there's still going to be some interesting decisions that they have to make. And certainly John Runyon Jr. falls within that category. The only thing I'll add is the one question that I had uh, added, like asked today in the press conference. And that um, was about, you know, obviously the quarterback's coach um, and what they wanted to do there. And, you know, it's interesting because he immediately started answering of like, well, why would we uh, not want to bring him back? And I'm like, no, 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 not, not on your side of things on, on his side of things. And, um, you know, he said, obviously, you know, he's going to have the ability to make that decision. Tom Clements, of course, on his own accord. And if, if he wants to move on, he's earned the right to do so. But uh, clearly they are head over heels about what he has brought to the organization and have hopes and intentions that he will be back to continue to mentor Jordan Love moving forward. 
Yeah, I mean, he's done a fantastic job. And Matt LaFleur said this team, not just the quarterback room, Jordan Love, this team is better because Tom Clements is a part of it. And it certainly is. All right, we'll kind of go lightning round through the rest of these. Uh, we did learn today, awesome job by Matt Schneidman for finally, finally getting the final answer mm-hmm. on the topic. There's been rumors in Scuttlebutt that Joe Barry's contract is up. It would have followed the similar pattern as to other coordinators. Usually it's a three-year deal. However, per Matt Schneidman and his report today, Joe Barry is still under contract and his contract is not up at the end of this season. Does that change things for you? And where are you at on the Joe Barry situation? To me, that shouldn't change anything. Um, And I'm, I'm becoming less confident in this answer, but I still think that they move on from him and Really, one of the the biggest reasons behind that is, and I think we talked about it here last week or two weeks ago, but Matt LaFleur's involvement on the defensive side of the ball coincides with when things started to improve for that unit and how much LaFleur is involved, what he's doing, we're never going to know. But if it's even a somewhat significant amount or a decent amount, like you got to move on. Like if, if you as the head coach, as a CEO – don't have the trust that your coordinators, you know, the the right-hand guys next to you can go out and execute. Like, trust isn't there. You have to move on. And from just a pure time standpoint, like as the head coach overseeing everything, also as the play caller who spends a lot of time on the offensive side of the ball and in those meetings, like you you can't do that over the course of the season from a time management perspective. And Malafleur was asked about that today and kind of punted on the answer a, a little bit um, in terms of how you would approach that over the course of the season. But it just my my feeling, my guess is that just isn't feasible. So if Malafleur did end up playing a decent role in that, and again, just trying to do our best to parse through my guesses that he did, because not just that the defense improved, like we saw different looks from this defense. We saw this defense doing different things. I mean, they talked about the the variety of coverage disguises they used against Dallas, the different blitzes. Communication was much more sound. Um, I know you pointed out in that Dallas game too, like Carl Brooks playing out at defensive end, Lucas Van Ness with his hand in the dirt. Like it's not just that they did better. There were different things that show that something changed drastically. And my guess is that was Matt LaFleur. So if that's the role he had to take on, you have to move on at that point. And going back to the foundation that they've laid, like it looks like a you know a contention not playoff but Super Bowl contention window is you know creaking open for this team and if you're in that you got to maximize it and if there's the opportunity to get even a little better because what does having what does you know a, a couple percentage points do for you over the course of the season in the game plan in the coaching in the teaching how does that add up over time and we just talked about it through the Niners game. One play here, one play there, one play there is the difference between being at home and getting ready for alliance. So if you're in this window and you feel you have this opportunity to strike while the iron's hot, if you think you can get even incrementally better, you got to do it. And they finished the season strong, but they did last year as well. And that's that five, six game stretch last season was fueled by a lot of turnovers. And we all know turnovers are really, really volatile. And what needs to be looked at is really the three-year body of work at this point. So my my thought, my guess right now is that they are going to move on from Barry. And also, too, again, just trying to read the, the tea leaves a little bit. Like, LaFleur was very, very, you know, 
non-committal about anything in this <clears throat> in this press conference today and having to go through the process whereas on the offensive side of the ball and obviously there's not changes to be made there but Adam Stenovich you know being a you know make calling plays was something that Matt LaFleur talked about and raved about obviously Tom Clements and I get they're in a different position on the other side of the ball than where Joe Barry is but he was given the opportunity as well to kind of you know uh praised Joe Barry a little bit when asked about, you know, what what changed on the defensive side of the ball? What led to the success that you guys found? And again, just said, it's all the above. It's the defensive scheme. It's players playing better. It's all that stuff. So again, doing a little reading here and <laughs> for the reason previously mentioned, that's, that's my guess at this time. We are in agreement there. And I use the exact same words of even if you're just getting incrementally better, you're, you need to make that change. Um, so, yeah, we'll see what they do. It, it will be an interesting decision. Again, we did learn that he is still under contract. So if they do move on, it would need to be a, a firing, which I'm sure would not be an easy situation. But I do think it's one of those that they they do just ultimately have to do. All right. Um, really quick, they did make some signings. All of them were off of the practice squad. I'm not sure there's anything too much we need to go in here, but they signed 14 of their practice squad players. I think it's easier to probably just point out the ones that they did not retain, which were Pat O'Donnell, who they literally just brought in as an emergency in case Daniel Whalen was not able to punt because of his illness last week. David Long Jr., who also they brought in at the end, they brought him back, back to the practice squad with Jair's injury and again, not being sure there. And then the only semi-interesting one, although he is getting now older in age, especially for like a practice squad player that's never gotten, never played a snap, I don't think, in regular season in the league, and that's defensive tackle Chris Slayton. So three players not signed from the practice squad, Pat O'Donnell, David Long Jr., and Chris Slayton. Any, anything surprising there to you at all? No, I don't think so. I mean, the three guys that they didn't bring back are all, like you said, guys who have you know some tenure in the NFL. And when you're building out your 90-man roster at this point in the season, I mean, take a swing, take a swing on youth, take a swing on upside. Really quick, I was going to say before when you were talking about LaFleur doing some, if it was, by the way, Matt LaFleur doing like that improved the defense, can you like... Can we take a second to just recognize that like, oh, the head coach who's put together this unbelievable season and fixed the offense and built this Jordan Love offense and everything else and all these young players and put together one of the top offenses with a first time starter and a bunch of first and second year players um, without Bakhtiari, Watson being hurt, like all of it, Jones being hurt a huge chunk of the year. Just as they decide, like, hey, at the end of the year, also, I'm going to go and take over the defensive room and we're going to improve exponentially on defense through the final. Like if that is the case, like. Holy crap, that is unbelievable. But we'll probably never quite know exactly what happened there, but we will see what happens with Joe Barry. Last but not least, Paul, you did a tremendous job covering this team all season long. Obviously, all of the writing that you did, um, you know, obviously your own podcast and, and sharing your time with us here as well. As you look back at this season and covering the team from rookie minicamp until now, what are the thoughts that come to your mind as you look back on this entire season? Man, that's a great question. And uh, I've, I've been thinking through that one. And I guess kind of two answers are just the the opportunity to, to be in the locker room. Um, and like you said, just to, you know, as much as you can in these situations from just asking football questions, get a little bit of insight into, you know, who these players are as people, what makes them tick. Um, something that I, I'm very grateful for the opportunity. And then the other thing, too, is just, man, the way this season unfolded, not knowing really week to week what the heck was going to happen, the roller coaster ride that it was, as I described, like there was never a, there was never a moment of uh, 
uh, lack of interest, for lack of a better term, in terms of what this team was doing, how they were operating, what was coming down the pipeline. So uh, just those are really the two things that stick out right now. Yeah, for me, it was just fun. It was fun Mm -hmm. all the way around. And to your point there, I think like you saw this team go through camp and they get the the big win against Chicago to open the season. They let one slip away in Atlanta, but you still saw a lot of positive signs. And then they have a huge comeback against New Orleans. And you're like, man, this team's just good. Like there's not going to be any setbacks. And then of course you go through the stretch where they have, they lose what three in a row at that point of the season, um, four in a row, Detroit, mm-hmm. Vegas, Denver, and Minnesota with a bye week in between. So they've got a five week period where they lose four games, 0 and four. And then you're like, oh, this team's just going to be bad. Even when you get the win against the Rams, it's not anything because it's Brett Rippon at quarterback. You lose to the Steelers, but feel like it's an okay loss. You're at three and six, and you're just like, all right, it's just not going to be. And then they win three in a row, and you're like, oh, no, actually, this team can play just fine. And then they lose two in a row, and you're like, okay, back to the drawing board. And then they win four in a row, and it's just unbelievable. But like just – because, well, of course, Paul, we're doing this every single day, and we're talking about the team, and we're writing about it and talking about it. And it's just like just the moment that you feel like you've kind of got things figured out a little bit of the direction. It's just like, nope, you have no idea. And I think just that topsy-turviness and just taking the step back and letting the season breathe and just enjoying it, that that to me, it was it was so fun and so enjoyable. And I think that's what really was like kind of the the pain point of not like, oh, yeah, they let it slip away, but just like, ah, oh, it sucks to have this season over because it was just a, it was it was pure joy, especially at the end of the year. Yeah. And when in these last this last month plus when they started to figure it out like man that level of fun was taken to a whole new level and not just because of obviously winning's fun but how they were winning with that offense and again like everything we talked about today the potential you could see what Matt LaFleur was you know doing as a play caller just a a terrific season a fun season very much so Paul I cannot thank you enough for doing this all season long. We'll of course have you back. I'm sure throughout the course of the off season to chat, chat some free agency and coaching stuff and whatever else comes up. So can't wait to have those conversations with you, but we won't bug you every single Tuesday anymore. We'll have to do it again next season, but uh, appreciate you a ton. And thanks for coming on every single week. Tell all the great people where they can find all your amazing work. Yeah. Thank you, Andy. And I right back at you. I really appreciate the opportunity to do this with you, but you guys can find me on Twitter at Paul underscore Brettle. Uh, follow me on or hit subscribe on YouTube at Paul Brettle. Find all my work over at Packers Wire. Go check all of it out. He does great work all year round. So you're not going to want to miss out on all of his off season thoughts as well. Of course, you can find the podcast at Packaday Podcast. You can find me at Andy Herman NFL. That is going to do it for us today. But until next time, and as always, go Pack Go. 